the Gridiron Show at Super Bowl 51. History has been made in Houston. We have just seen Robert Kraft's speech afterwards. Funnily enough, he might have mentioned some things that transpired over the last two years in a slightly kind of underhanded, backhanded way, however you want to put it. But we had a handshake between Brady and Goodell. So everything water under the bridge I'm sure because in this game the biggest comeback in Super Bowl history the most yards by a quarterback in Super Bowl history the most catches by anyone in Super Bowl history and the New England Patriots are five time Super Bowl champions Tom Brady if you don't think he's the GOAT now then you are a ludicrous human being and I specifically mean you Simon Clancy (laughs) Matthew Sherry is with me funnily enough how are you feeling buddy? I think you need to we need to rewrite the dictionary and find new adjectives because you can't describe what we've just witnessed in in words as they're currently formed it's at one point when there were when when there were 25 points down a bostonian patriots fan got up and tried to rally the fans around them it was a kind of come on it's a big third down about three people got off their chairs by the time the game had finished all them fans were on their feet nat saw a family of three with a young child who was in such horrible floods of tears at 25 points down leave the game really? I, I hope they didn't oh, leave the stadium please, I please tell me they came back in they watched it from the stands I desperately hope they watched it from the concourse once the child had calmed down because you've missed that you've missed actual true <laughs> history I mean I, I hyperbole but I said on our talk sports show we're talking about the greatest quarterback of all time. We might be talking about the greatest sports person of all time. Yeah. To come from that point, to have that turnover to just completely change the game, and then you said it, Matt Sherry, the will to win was just unbelievable. I, I think I think we saw tonight the more talented team come out on the losing end, and I think that what we saw in the first three quarters was indicative of that. But so much of this game is about the guy that you have a quarterback and the New England Patriots have a guy who now undisputedly is the best to ever play the position and as you say Will the question is where does he rank in sports generally because that was absolutely astonishing it was I didn't think I'd ever see anything more astonishing than 13 of 14 in the fourth quarter of the Super Bowl two years ago against that Seattle defence and that win but what we've just seen and to cap it all off by just taking the ball driving down for a touchdown in overtime it was just staggering you you can't write this script you really can't 43 completions off 62 pass attempts they ran something like 90 offensive plays in this game look we're going to break it down more either tonight when we get back if we're not too beard up and we can manage it and once we've been down to the locker rooms because the ticker tape is still flying in NRG Stadium it is still very much full of Pats fans celebrating booing Roger a little bit as well but I just had to get your initial reactions, Matt Sherry, because truly we have witnessed history. We will break this down, but we will talk about this game for years to come. Just give me one simple answer. A better game than 49? Yeah. How Absolutely. is that possible? We've been to three Absolutely. Super Bowls, and two of them have been maybe the, the um, top two of all time. Mid- I just, I love my job. The, the, Thank you, TalkSport. Thank is, you, Gridiron. That is Thank the main thing. We just, are very, very lucky to have witnessed what we've witnessed in the last three years. I am, I am seeping through with sweat so, simply put the greatest quarterback of all time the greatest coach of all time and the greatest NFL dynasty of all time 
and it is absolutely undisputed now. Remind me in the morning to tell you about my going to the toilet story. I look forward to it. It's a cracker. <laughs> what a wonderful performance. Nat, uh, don't forget to check out Nat Coombs is here with us as well. Listen to the TalkSport 2 NFL show, 10 till 12 Tuesdays, because that's going to be a cracker as well. And we're going to have so much reaction to this game, so much locker room. Ollie Hunter's on his way down there now. I'm just going to do another chat on TalkSport, and then I'm going to head down there as well. Mind blown. Mind literally blown. Thank you, Will. Welcome to the Gridiron Show. It was the greatest comeback in Super Bowl history. Tom Brady setting no less than eight quarterback records as the New England Patriots became five-time champions. And we were live there in Houston. We'll bring you locker room interviews, our reaction, and a little bit on what the future holds for both the Patriots and the Atlanta Falcons. This is the Gridiron Show. Hello, welcome to the Gridiron Show. It is Wednesday evening, I think, maybe. Is it Tuesday evening? I genuinely don't know anymore. After, uh, after the Super Bowl, after Super Bowl 51, we are back in the UK. Will Gavin, Ollie Hunter and Matt Sherry with you. Uh, first of all, obviously in association with our good friends at Touchdown Trips. Plans really starting to come together for our tour this coming year. So uh, we, please Get on there, get on to touchdowntrips.com, get onto Facebook and get registered your interest because it looks sounds like it's going to be an absolute cracker. We're having a chat with Ben this week to figure out some of the extra excursions we're going to do, some of the stadiums we'd like to visit, etc. So, uh, yeah, get on and let us know if you are interested. Um, and I don't need to plug the... I was about to plug the Super Bowl party. That's been and gone. Thank you to everyone who came to the Super Bowl party. Sounded like it was a great success. If you've got any photos, we'd love you to tweet them to us at Gridiron on Twitter. Uh, yeah, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, hello, Ollie. Hello, Matt. Hey, man. Hello. How, uh, first of all, how many hours has everyone slept since we've been back in the UK? I slept for four hours yesterday afternoon, and then I had a sleeping tablet that I didn't take on the plane at 9pm last night. And I woke up at 11.30 this morning. <laughs> Ridiculous. Oh, that's that's uh, still a work. I had three hours yesterday. Then I had to go into work and do the NFL show with Nat Coombs. Then I got home last night at about 12 and I woke up at about 12. So I had 12 hours yesterday or uh, overnight into today. I worked out that from the time that Ollie dropped me off back at Shea Gavin, I had 19 out of the next 24 hours I was asleep. <laughs> That is even more impressive than me. I, did, I thought I was definitely winning that competition. I did not have a small child to look after, so that's possibly part of the uh, the issue. But, yeah, it's because we had a brilliant time, loads of fun, and, and thank you to all the kind words that people have sent us at Gridiron on Twitter for the work we've done this week. So many great interviews to bring you over the off-season as well. So much great content that we produced whilst we were out there. So, uh, yeah, all of that to bring you as well. We can't wait to do that. And kind of the, the, the way we're going to put together today's show is that uh, I think uh, you probably heard people talk about the game pretty extensively and don't get me wrong we're going to go through and we'll talk about some of the key plays but I think we want to focus a little bit more on exactly what the future holds for these two teams what the plan is for the offseason all that sort of thing but let's be honest this Super Bowl I think it's fair to say will go down as the greatest of all time 
It, it will, and it's all because of the finish, really. Because I think, I think I said to Wally when we were discussing it the other day, and he asked which was better, this one or or um, forty nine, which was obviously an unbelievable game in itself. And I think wall to wall, forty nine was a better game. But I think the ending to this was so outrageous, and so many things happened. Like I think of ten plays that happened where if they go the other way, Atlanta wins the game, and and the odds. And just the whole kind of narrative of Brady, Belichick, five Super Bowls, I think it means that it has to be number one. I do I, I do think that I was, whilst reflecting on 49, which is the first one I went to, the actual ending of 49 was more sensational to me, purely because it was the opposite of what I expected. As the Seahawks drove down the field, as they got down to the two-yard line, I just thought, well, that's it. They're going to score here, and then it'll be whether or not the Patriots can punch it in with 25 seconds left, whatever it was, when they didn't take the time out. They didn't punch it in. The interception was made, and that was so ludicrous to me. Whereas almost in the fourth quarter of this game, particularly when they got it back to 28-20, there was this horrible sense of inevitability. The Falcons' defense, who played so well for two and a half quarters, just looked absolutely shattered. On the offensive side of the ball, as soon as Tevin Coleman went out of the game, and I know Devonta Freeman had the more impressive game but Tevin Coleman's the better pass blocking back and uh, and they just didn't look like they were going to be able to eat the clock and try and slow the game down and they consistently came out throwing the Falcons and you just felt like there was too much time on the clock almost after when they had the opportunity to I think it was when they had the opportunity at the field goal and they were on the the Patriots 22 and then they got the huge holding a sack followed by the huge holding penalty which put them out of field goal range and at that point, I, in my head, I just went, well, this is it. The, the Patriots are going to win this now. Uh, and it, yes, it took two two-point conversions to do it. In fact, I saw a stat today that the Patriots are the only team in Super Bowl history to win the game without scoring an extra point. Because they punched in two, they missed one, and obviously yeah. didn't have to take one at the end of overtime. So if the four touchdowns they scored uh, through that period, not one of them needed an extra point. And I said it before, but... Seven games for Brady, five Super Bowls, most passing yards, most passing completions. Uh, You know, we had James White with the most receptions. It just, they ran double the offensive plays. The time of possession between the two teams was absolutely ludicrous. Atlanta having just over 20 minutes. The Patriots well over 40 when you bring in overtime as well. Uh, It just... That one stat of the biggest comeback of all time having been 10 points in the past... This one being 25 points. I suppose the big question is, I'll ask you first, Ollie. where do you apportion the blame for this loss slash the credit for this win? I'd really love to know what the difference was between the, the times of play, um, of offensive play, the, the Falcons in the first half and the New England Patriots in the second half, and then uh, how fast each it was to get from... Uh, end of play to the line of scrimmage and play being executed because I think that was the, a, a massive, not turning point, but a massive factor in this game. And I think Kyle Shanahan, if if as, as my suspicions are, slowing the game down through either the teams being tired or trying to eat some of the clock or whatever, th- slowing that that part of it down, I think that really affected the Falcons' offense. Um, blame wise. I just, I would, I, but you say that, I just don't think they did enough of it. I mean, if you come out in the second half, and yes, I know for the touchdown drive, there were the two ridiculous plays, the Devonta Freeman uh, catch and run and the Julio Jones tiptoeing catch on the sideline. I know they set themselves up for, uh, I know they set themselves up for a touchdown with that drive, but the fact that they came out 
with a. They never scored on that drive. Though. Oh, was that, that not was, the scoring drive? That was I, the that was the drive where they got knocked out of field goal range. Right. Sorry. I, sorry. I I uh, I haven't looked over my notes. I'm not going to lie. That so. But when they came out, when they made that drive, you're going, okay, that's really impressive. But you've just driven down the field in less than ninety seconds, and then you're trying to run the ball as and when you get into the twenty yard line mark. It never felt like they were going out there to try and control the clock. And I know Kyle Shanahan's offense isn't necessarily designed to do that, but to an extent, you've got to find a way to do that. So to me, it, it, it indicated why teams, even those that are really good at it, and it's something that Chip Kelly should probably look out for if he ever gets back in the NFL, why you can't consistently run the no-huddle offense against good teams. All of Atlanta's scoring drives in the first half, and I think the first one in the second half, were from the no huddle. They got the Patriots defence on the back foot and were able to completely just do whatever they wanted matchup wise. They got a look on the field that they liked and could just move guys around as they felt saw fit. The Patriots a few years ago were similarly good at that and you'll notice now they've heavily scaled back how much they use it. They used it a lot against Pittsburgh in the championship game, but not a lot else the rest of the season. They obviously used it a load at the end of this game as well. It's obviously a huge tool that you can use. And for the end-of-game situations like Sunday, where it's desperate, um, it works out really well. But the problem is that it does wear your defence down. And ultimately, you can score way too quickly with it, which means that you're going to get these ludicrously skewed numbers in terms of offensive and defensive players. Ali? No, I agree with that. I think, as well, what we saw from the Patriots was a lot of their their scoring drives because of uh, clock situation at Al and how far back they were and, and recognising that the Atlanta defence was, was tiring, uh, visibly tiring play after play. I, uh, I, I think they went, uh, if, I, if I'm not wrong, into a lot of no huddle or a lot of hurry up as in any case. And I think that was the, the, the decisive factor. Blame-wise, I think a, a little has to go on Kyle Shanahan for not continuing um the what not continuing what was going on in the first half but that's always very difficult once you get up is i call it the green bay packers factor of uh, <laughs> uh, especially on defense as well the defense didn't continue that swarm that we saw especially in the second half they had one drive where um grady jarrett sacked brady two out of three plays and he was absolutely phenom- phenomenal but other than that one particular drive, I, I thought there was a lot of standing off, not, not just from the defensive backs, but also the linebackers as well. The, 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 front, the front line or the, the defensive line was, was absolutely gas. I think that a little bit of blame has to be apportioned there. But really, realistically, I think the Patriots just, they had the nous, they had the belief, they had the quarterback, they had the coach. And it is, there, there, there's that element of pure will to win, but just talking about the Falcons' defence before we get on to them, because what the Falcons' defence did so well in, in the first half, and, and Bill Belichick spoke about this in the press conference the following day, was that nothing that they did was necessarily a surprise to the Patriots. Those stunts inside to bring the extra pressure, um, you know, playing a lot of man coverage like they had done throughout the playoffs when they'd been predominantly a zone team with that cover three during the regular season. I, you know, I, all of that was 
what worked so well in the first half, but you're going up against the best adjustments coach in the league. You're going up against a quarterback who, once he's learned the defense and read it, is going to be able to pick them apart. And when Brady came out in the second half, he consistently made the right adjustments at the line of scrimmage. He consistently found the right matchups. It's the reason that James White, for me, had such a huge day was because Brady learned how to find the right spot for him. And then he went and out and made the plays itself. I mean, in, in the first half, I think the first five or six completions went to five different receivers. And at first I thought, all oh, at Brady's up for it. But it was in that second half that he made those adjustments. He made those changes. And the Falcons' defense just didn't react to it. And uh, I spoke with Ricardo Allen afterwards. And we, we were, he was asked, is there anything different that you would have done if, um, if, if you could have called the game differently? And we'll hear from Ricardo Allen in a bit. But the one thing he said is, would I have mixed more zone in with the man? Yeah, probably I would, but that's not my call. And I think we all would have liked to have seen the defense do something different, particularly to try and stop the slide. And I get that when you're playing man defense, there were probably three or four passes which could have been picked off. And had they been, it would have changed the game. And there was the Robert Alford um, pick six in the first half where that came on a drive that followed three holding penalties on the defense, on young cornerbacks and safeties, and the space of three third downs. And you're like, oh, this is going completely the wrong way for them. But it's because they're playing so aggressively. They managed to get that big play from Robert Alford. He returned it 82-odd yards for the touchdown. And they kept doing that in the second half, but they needed to change the way they were playing, and they needed to react. And I think it's a 50-50 blame, maybe. I think I... Just the Patriots, if there's any team that's going to come out from that kind of deficit, and I know it's the biggest comeback of Brady's career and the biggest comeback in postseason and all of that other stuff, but... If there's a team who are going to come out and make the adjustments, but also have the will to win, never let their head drops, never give up, then it's going to be New England. Yeah, and I mean, the other thing I would just say on that is, there are a couple of interesting things, especially watching them back. I would say the guy that got New England's offense going was actually the rookie wide receiver, Malcolm Mitchell. I think that basically what this, when they look back over it at halftime, I think they saw that there were opportunities to throw to Mitchell in the first half. But because he's kind of the fourth guy who Brady is going to be going to on most players. I don't think he was necessarily honing in on Mitchell when the matchups were good, and I think that was interesting. But I, I just think the whole game was testament to to the willpower of the team. I mean, I was there in four years ago, my first Super Bowl, Denver-Seattle, and the difference between what the Patriots did in that game and what Denver did in that game, where basically they got, on, got kind of... Seattle were on top of them early, and then they just kind of threw in the towel. I, even... I, I was talking to... Um, one of the lads in the press box and even at 28 3 I didn't think for one minute that they were going to come back but I did say there's no way they'll just take this lying down I'm pretty sure it'll be even a 10 point game at that point would have been a good comeback I said it might be a 10 point game but I'm I'm fairly sure you'll see the fight and that's what you always know you're going to get with the periods Matt just talk us a little bit through your emotional roller coaster during this game well it was different really because I mean I was just so paid off basically because, in my opinion, I mean, realistically, looking back at the game, I think Atlanta looked like the better team for, for stretches. But I would also say that the Patriots had handed them on a silver platter at that point. I mean, the, the Legarrette blunt fumble, the pick six, and, and Belichick said himself, New England moved the ball all night. And other than three, um, was it three or four, four drives, which admittedly went really quickly. and No, it was three drives because one was a pick six. Other than three drives, which looked really bad, the defence played great all night long. They had a lot of three and outs. If Atlanta got a first down and when Atlanta started no huddling, they struggled. But I would say for large parts of the game, the Patriots, and I 
kind of saw this more watching it back. I outplayed them. They moved the ball on virtually every single drive. They just made huge mistakes at key times, which is so unpatriot like. So at that point, you're just so frustrated because they haven't even put in a game. And then I remember at 28-3, there was a play actually. I don't know whether it was 28-3 or 28-9. But there was, a, there was a kickoff and Patrick Chung took the kickoff over his shoulder and made an incredible catch of it. He should have left it alone at the time, I remember thinking, God, it's a good job this is an important game now because that was a ridiculous play. And then obviously from there, you kind of gradually just builds hope builds and builds and builds but you know they've got so much to do because of the two-point conversions and the fact they had to get another stop on defense but and then by the end i mean but i'm even taking myself out of it as a fan like the nerves element but, but look, here's, here's, here's the thing you missed an extra point after the extra point you went for an onside kick where the kicker touched the ball twice no team should win a game where they've done, made those two mistakes <laughs> the when is, they're so far behind. When they missed the extra point, I just laughed and said to the guy next to me, well, that sums up their game. Because, I mean, at that point, it was so inconceivable that they could win. And then the next moment happened and you're like, oh, well, maybe that sums it up. But yeah, at that point, you were thinking, who cares? It doesn't matter anyway. The game's already gone. And then everything that happened after that, I mean, I said to you guys, I'm going to take a little bit of credit. I mean, I think it's... 65% Patriots, 30% Atlanta, 5% Matthew Sherry, because from the moment I started writing a piece about Thomas Dimitrov for the next magazine, literally that was at the point um, where the Patriots scored the first touchdown. It just turned around completely. So I like to think that was that I played a small part in it myself. <laughs> and and if, you talk, if you want to look at the, the Falcons field goal, uh, the MMQB uh, article, Peter King's one, broke down exactly what the difference would have been if they'd scored that field goal when they had the opportunity instead of losing those two big 10-yard losses of play. And you're talking about a situation where Brady would have taken over the ball 3.05 left and down 11, so would have had to have scored a touchdown plus the X, plus the um, two-pointer and a field goal, so therefore would have had to execute a successful onside kick. People who say it was inevitable they were going to win at that point they would, I, don't, I genuinely think that field goal, and that's it. The Atlanta Falcons win the game. Now, you're never going to kick it when you've got time on the clock, you've got a team coming back, you've still got two downs. Of course, nobody's going to go out there and kick it at that point. It's not the end of overtime. But there is, a, there, that's, in fact, talking about the end of overtime, that's another interesting conversation that's come out of this. Overtime rules. I increasingly feel like there needs to be a situation where, regardless, both teams get the ball. But, but the, there's a way to do that, and, I, and it's ridic- it sounds ridiculous, but it's actually the only fair way to do it. I spoke to Liam about this, uh, Blackburn. The way to do it is if the team scores a touchdown on the opening possession, you, if they've used any fourth downs to get there, you record those, and the team then gets the ball back, and they only have three downs to move the ball unless a team's used a number of fourth downs to get the touchdown. So just say we the Patriots scored using one fourth down, the Falcons would have got the ball back with one fourth down in their pocket, but otherwise they have to execute everything on three downs. Because the advantage is obviously that if the other team scores a touchdown, you get an extra down, and that is a huge advantage. So that, to me, is the only way that they can do it. But I don't really see why that wouldn't be possible. 
Yeah, this, it sounds like a pretty reasonable solution. And I think just coming down to the, the coming down to the final thing of, of, of who blew it and why it went wrong. Look, I think you got it right when you said there are ten different plays that could have changed it. I think the Dante Hightower play to get the strip sack. If Tevin Coleman's in on that down instead of Devontae Freeman, as I say, the better pro, pass pro back. Good chance he would have not missed the blitz pickup in the way that Freeman did. Do you know the if, thing about that that particular play is? Coleman went out the the very play neck um, before Previous. that, and uh, Devonte Freeman, of course, they're good friends. Was knelt down. I, I know you pointed out afterwards that there were four other guys closer to the line of scrimmage that were knelt down as well, closer to the team. But Devonte Freeman was so obviously involved with that, uh, being right next to Coleman. Coleman apparently was out. Uh, it, it was almost you've got to take Freeman out. Or someone's got to realise that Freeman would have been affected. He completely blew his his assignment there. Uh, almost let the guy go, let Hightower go past him. Matt Ryan was not expecting it. You can't put any blame. I saw someone blame Matt Ryan for for not holding onto the ball better. Come on, he was hit blindsided. I think if uh, Patrick DeMarco, I know you, you you're saying that that is definitely going to be a passing play in that case anyway. But the, the Patriots already knew that with Dante Hightower coming in like he did. So I think a lot of the blame has to be apportioned to someone not taking out Freeman on that particular play because his head obviously was gone. And, and look, here's the thing. With all of those plays and with all, of the, with all those situations, whether it was Ryan not throwing the ball away on that sack on the possible field goal drive, whether it was you know the Falcons missing those several opportunities to pick the ball off, there were so many individual plays. It felt a little bit like that Green Bay-Seattle game a few years ago where just everything went wrong for Green Bay. Everything went wrong for the Falcons. It all went right for the Patriots. And yes, it was an incredible comeback. But will we ever see anything like that again? I would be genuinely stunned because it kind of all has to go one way. And it managed to all go one way. So you're a little bit lucky as well, Sherry. But the yeah, best without, kind of luck. <laughs> without a doubt. But I mean, I think the two key things that I would say is the reason I would apportion it to can be kind of 65% New England is they made them just made big players in big games and that's what big teams do that how often do we say that a team finds a way to win that is what teams do but also i think the atlanta defense being worn out was a game plan thing i think they planned for that to be the case and they did exactly the same against seattle two years ago in that you and it's easier to do against atlanta because you know when they score they're going to score incredibly quickly so if you plan to sustain long drives down the field then come the fourth quarter with the way they play defense which is 100 mile an hour helter-skelter stuff, which is why it's so tough when they get into rhythm like they were early in this game. You know that in the fourth quarter you're going to have more opportunities. And I think that was part of the game plan. So, like you say, I I would agree. I mean, you're looking at basically 10 scenarios that if they don't go exactly the way they did, I don't think the Patriots win. But I still think the, the, the Patriots made players in that game that no other team in the NFL would have made, which is another reason why they won. So look, we went down into the locker rooms after the games. I spent a little bit of time in the Falcons locker room and we'll get to that in a moment. But let's start off with the uh, New England Patriots and hear from some of the guys in that locker room. I want to start off with Logan Ryan. He's the first man that I got to speak to when I first got in there. Spent about four minutes with him just one-on-one. And I wanted to first of all talk to him a little bit about the first half, the matchup with Julio Jones, the way they dealt with that and then the adjustments they made going into the second half. Super Bowl champion. Fifth time for the team and... The greatest comeback in Super Bowl history. Logan Ryan, how does that all sound to you right now? Sounds, sounds awesome, mate. It sounds, sounds crazy. 
<clears throat> but it's super fitting for what the, what these guys are, man. We're a bunch of fighters, a bunch of competitors, and, you know, we got knocked down all year. We got knocked down today, but no one lost faith in each other. We kept believing, and the only way you can pull off a comeback is just to look at the guy next to you and sacrifice for your brother, and that's what we did. Listen, early on it looked like you were lined up against Julio. You had safety cover deep over the top as well, but... There were those couple of drives where he made a couple of big pass completions. So what happened in the second half to, to be able to shut that offense down? Nothing. We kept doing what we are doing, man. Stuck with it. Julio's going to make his plays. Matt Ryan's going to make his plays. Freeman's going to make his plays. They're Pro Bowl players, all pro players. You just got to keep fighting, man. They're going to punch back, and that's what they did. Their players made their plays. We just got to contain it the best we could. Every catch Julio made was contested. Ridiculous. Tremendous athlete. As good as advertised. But we can't get discouraged and tuck our tuck our tail like everyone thought at halftime. We had to stand back up, and it's tough. When you're knocked down and everyone counts you out, we had to keep keep digging deeper. What's Matt Patricia saying to you? What's Bill Belichick saying to you when it's 28-3 and you guys have got to go out there and make some plays? Keep going. Keep going, man. No big grand speech. No secret recipe. No secret formula to be a champion, man. You got to keep going. We knew at halftime that wasn't going to be enough points for them to win. And we just had to keep trying to get stops, one stop at a time, one play at a time. Talk us through the strip sack, which seemed to certainly the neutral to be the changing point of the game. When you're down by that much, man, with so much on the line, you got to let it loose. We let it all loose. Every play we had in the playbook, every aggressive defense we might have had, we weren't going to sit back and, and watch the clock tick away. We had to blitz them. We had to get after them. Hightower's our leader. He made, a ba- he made plays that a captain's supposed to make. We had to hold up in the back end. We had to challenge these guys, Sanu and Gabriel and Julio Jones, the best we could. And we had to let it all on the line, man. And that's what we did. And we blitzed them, and Hightower got after it, and we kept going and kept going and kept going. And you mentioned Dante there. There was an interesting moment in the first half where he called the timeout after they'd run no huddle. They got right down to the red zone. And it felt like at that point they were overwhelming you. So in that moment, what does a leader say to you to get, try and get you back on track? Just keep playing, man. Keep playing. Like they're they're the best offense. They're the best offense. We're not gonna come out here and just hold these guys at zero points as much as we want to. They're the best offense. That's what they do. They get up on teams. They got up on Green Bay. Game was over by halftime. They got up on Seattle. Game was over by the third quarter. They got up on us. The game wasn't over. We're not Green Bay. We're not Seattle. We're gonna keep fighting. We kept fighting. We made a play. Okay, got a little bit of hope. We kept fighting. We made a play. Okay, we got more hope. And we kept doing that. And life, man, it's not going to go as planned. I'm sure for you, for me, it doesn't always go as planned. You get knocked down. You got to have faith. Something bigger than you. That's what this team had. We had faith. When other guys tucked their tails and, and, and packed it in and thought how about embarrassing the loss might have been, we kept fighting. And look at us. Now we're the champs. And look. You guys do your job, you get the turnover, then you get, what, five consecutive stops, I think it was. But how good is it to know that when you're doing your job, the man doing the job on the other side is the man that is now undoubtedly the greatest of all time? Simple. That's all we got to do. Get the ball back to 12. He'll get us there. He'll lead us right. Offense did better take care of the ball. We did better getting stops. We were pretty good on third down all day, but we had to continue to get stops. Special teams played great with field position, and that's a team effort, man. No one could take this from us. There's no cheating, no nothing. You can't take this from us, man. We had to come back from 25 points. I've just seen a moment with one of your PR guys. Just started tucking out things from his... Uh, yeah, yeah. Of course, man. <laughs> a beautiful moment at Logan. Thank you very much to you, man. And uh, congratulations. Super Bowl champions. Shout out. Thank you. Love the UK. So Logan Ryan, cornerback for uh, the New England Patriots. And actually, it brings us on to an interesting point before I kind of get to to the rest of the the guys we spoke to. Because 
We, we spoke with Bill Belichick in the press conference afterwards. We heard from Tom Brady. Uh, amazing to hear the, the Bill Belichick statement about the one thing we are is five weeks behind on next season already. That's just the Patriot way and the way that they approach this. But I, I think this is particularly in, in your direction, Sherry. You said to me as we were walking to the bus after the game, probably two, three hours afterwards, I'll tell you what, the Patriots need to do a lot of work for next season. Now, Logan Ryan was one of those players who is out of contract, but you've got Sebastian Vorman, Martellus Bennett, maybe most Keeley Dante Hightower there. And the Garrett Blunt, we already know, is being cut by the team. You know, guy who led the league in touchdowns this season. Amazing that. But what do the Patriots need to do? Is Logan Ryan a guy they need to keep around? What should their off-season attack be? Their off-season attack should be to re-sign Dante Hightower at all costs. And I would watch that game again in the second half. It was clear that they said to him, to just be a little bit more attacking in the running game. And I think that, as well as the sack, was the reason they won the game. He is a great player. One of the There's maybe three great players on that defence with him and Devin McCourty. And I would say Alan Branch, as well, is a great player. Another guy was a free agent, actually. Uh, but he's 32, and they've got a ready-made replacement for him and Malcolm Brown to kind of just step up if they need to. Um, but I think they need to re-sign Hightower as a priority. I'll probably bring Branch back on a one-year deal if they could. They need an interior pass rusher, which is something that they've lacked all season. They need a fast linebacker, and that was shown up with the Tevin Coleman touchdown when Rob Ningovich is trying to be in coverage on him. Um, I think they need to just get a little bit quicker on defence if they can. And that, I mean, that's ridiculous to say, because if you look at it now, they basically held Atlanta to 21 points, and they held Pittsburgh to whatever they held them to. They had the best score in defence in the NFL. I think it was a great defence end of the day. I think you can say that now. Um, running back, they needed they need an upgrade on Blunt. He was non-existent for the final month of the season. And it's just, against that kind of defence, is just useless because he doesn't have enough initial speed. So they need a, a big back with a little, bit of, a little bit more speed to him than Blunt. I still think they could do with another really top quality weapon and I think that was shown up in the first half like Edelman's great but the rest of them are just guys really I mean I think Hogan had a nice season but I'm not sure when Gronk's out of the lineup and you have to assume that there's a chance he will be again next year they could do with another guy like that and then I mean they've got an edge rusher now in Trey Flowers they could do with another younger guy opposite him because they're going to lose Jabal Sheed who had a disappointing year more than likely um I'd like to see them bring Martellus Bennett back, but I'm not convinced that'll happen because I think the money he'll now well, get. Sherry makes it sound like they're the Browns or something with the amount of changes they need to. But make. they've got a lot of they've got a lot of key players from that team in free agency. I mean, Logan Ryan's a good example of a guy who they're almost certainly going to have to let go because he was brilliant down the stretch. But they're not going to pay him number one cornerback money. They've got to re-sign Malcolm Butler at some point, and I think if you were choosing between the two, you'd go for Butler. So there's work to be done. I mean, but they've got $65 million of cap room to do it and they've got a full draft class almost certainly furnished with two first-round picks by the time they trade Garoppolo, which I think is a near certainty given the amount of interest that's already reported. I think there's going to be a huge market for Garoppolo and they'll get they'll get value for him. But, I'd, I'd, yeah, I'd, I mean, I'd, and I think the Patriots aren't a team who are going to look at their roster and think, well, we're the Super Bowl champions. We've cracked it. At the end of the day, they can get better and I'm sure they'll try and do that. I want to hear now from Chris Long and Trey Flowers, two guys who we talked about the defensive side of the ball. We talked about the impact of Dante Hightower with them as well. Um, And uh, this all came after Chris Long decided that he would go out and buy some cheap champagne on the Wednesday from Walgreens. And 
uh, bring it into the locker room and he said to me he wanted to do it baseball style and absolutely soak everyone but they have unlimited uh, they have unlimited champagne as far as he can tell in baseball he just had six bottles which counted as top shelf but only in Walgreens uh, I got absolutely soaking wet but that was fine because uh, it meant that he talked to me and so this is us chatting with Chris Long first of all and then Trey Flowers so uh, Chris Long defensive end first year at the Patriots as well and yeah. I kind of think I want to ask you because I first spoke to you in 2013 out in London yeah. do you think when you were getting blown out by the Patriots at Wembley that you'd be a Super Bowl champion here in, in four years time I've completely blacked that game out but if you're talking about the game that we supposedly lost where I was with the Rams 44 to 7 uh yeah, you know, I never thought. I always think one day at a time as a football player, you get in trouble thinking any other way and just keep getting back up. You know, there's guys like me on this team that came from other places and we're here. Come in, you sign a one-year deal, you win a Super Bowl. I mean, it couldn't be a more ideal situation for you. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm just lucky, man. I'm lucky to be a part of this team. I, I bet right, you know, in free agency, I just decided to go to the place I thought could give me the best chance to win. And uh, a lot of guys work very hard for this. And look, it's obviously it was a one-year deal. It's very soon afterwards. But are you wanting to keep up football after nine years and finally getting that ring? I got a lot more football to play. I feel very good. You know, my role was more as a third-down guy in the playoffs, but I know I can still play on first and second down. Um, and I, I just, I'll have to evaluate that. You know, it's not important tonight, though. No, no, it definitely is important yeah, tonight. Yeah. I just want to ask you about a couple of guys yeah. on your line, Trey Flowers being one of them. We spoke to him back on Monday, no idea of the impact he'd have on this game, and what an incredible young man that well, is. Well, we knew he would have a big impact. He, he has all year for us. In my opinion, he's been, you know, if not our best defensive player, one of them. And, uh, you know, I couldn't be more proud for the guy. When it's 25 points down, Dante gets around the side, gets the strip sack, was there a feeling immediately in the moment there, this could be the turning point? Yeah, I mean, uh, it, we looked up and said, oh, wow, okay, now I think we're, we're in it. We got a shot. You know, everything you do up to that point is just to give ourselves a chance. And then when, when High did that, we kind of said, oh, we, we actually have a shot. It felt like Coach Patricia got super aggressive in that second half. Was that just situational meant it had to happen? Yeah, I think we just had to be aggressive as a team. Our play, the play calls. If you want to dig out of a hole like that, you got to do something different. Chris, Appreciate did you manage to get one of Mr. Croft's cigars? Or, uh, no, I did didn't. I, no, I didn't. I stuck with the cheap champagne. We had, <laughs> you uh, soaked well, me with the cheap sorry, champagne. Sorry, but you should know that's Andre. That's not any champagne. That's, that's top shelf at Walgreens. I had to reach up to the top. Uh, yeah, okay. No, but at Walgreens, it's top shelf. That's where you're wrong. That's where you're just wrong. I mean... Like, yeah. Like, listen. Uh, I was there was a point where I was almost regretting buying that champagne, but uh, it almost went to waste. But we 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 made it happen. And you're a Super Bowl champion. That's the most important. Thing. Hell yeah, man. Hell yeah, we all are, and uh, we'll never forget this. You can't take this away from us. Delightful. You're welcome, Thank Chris. Thank you. The final couple of interviews I want to bring from the Patriots locker room: uh, Max Cannon and Joe Tooney. A couple of guys off that offensive line. Uh, we've already heard from a few of the players about the impact of Tom Brady. Um, but let's just hear what these two had to say about the interior pass rush, about Tom Brady, and about the performance of James White, and, and, and the line overall as well. Other words that you can put it into. Uh, Man, let's see. Awesome. Great. Superb. Whatever out of it. 
how to put some plays together. That's all I got. And Atlanta in the first half got more pressure on, on Tom than, than I guess the idiots like me and the media thought they would before the game. I mean, obviously there was a, there was a lot of talent on that defence, but they seemed to do a lot of stunts and that kind of thing in the first half. What did you guys do to adjust in the second half? Because it seemed the pockets were a lot cleaner. Well, you know, there's only... Um, there's only two two teams playing left, you know. And before we came into this game, we said Atlanta had a good defense, and you know, had talked to them. Uh, they were great. They were ex- everything that we expected them to be. And uh, you know, they gave us a challenge, but uh, you know, we're thankful that everything. Uh, uh, came together and we ended up with the victory. When you guys have um, Tom at quarterback, is there ever a game where you think you, you don't have a chance of getting back into it? Do you, do you just sit there feeling like you, you always have a chance no matter how? You know, it's, it's, it's never over until there's zeros on the clock. And then, uh, even if there's zeros on the clock, it ain't over over unless somebody's already won. And, you know, we had to go into overtime and, you know, we, we put it together and, uh, you know, thankfully, incredible this journey you know um credit to my teammates this whole organization it's just been unbelievable uh, yeah did you imagine picked in the third round as i just said there out of north carolina state that you'd be a super bowl champion four months well see not four months later, four months later, the same, but like eight nine months yeah, later i mean uh no i mean i just my first goal was just to make the team so it's just you know just just you know edge close to that goal and couldn't be happier now one for one one for one, so it's hopefully you know continue. But you know, just living in the moment right now, just enjoying this one. They gave you a tough time internally early on. Grady Jarrett had a great game. Rashid Hageman had a great game. What was that message at twenty-eight-three down that turned it around? Yeah, we just um, we just knew we had to keep executing. Just just keep playing together. Um, we knew we never out of it. Just had to keep fighting and. Um, you know, we knew we could pull it out, so we're very, very happy. What is the GOAT telling you when you are 28-3 down and you get the turnover and you come out and, and everyone's going, ah, biggest comeback is 10 points, there's no way? Just one play at a time. You know, you can't, can't get all 25 points back in one play, just one at a time. It's, it's got to be crazy coming out of college and, and playing with a guy who has just won his fifth Super Bowl, 39 years old, and, and I think more than anything else... We see what happened with Peyton. We see what happened with with uh, with Elway. They did it thanks to thanks to a great defense, thanks to a great running game. But he's putting on his shoulders and throwing the most yards in Super Bowl history. It's uh, it's great to be his teammate. Great to be part of this team. Just speechless. And what about James White? Fantastic player. You know he's been really great for us all year, and just you know came through tonight in just the biggest way, and so happy for him. A lot of love for your tackles this season, for Nate and for Marcus. Interior the line might have not been given the same sort of level of love, but I mean, do you care right now? All I care about is just getting a win at the end of the each week, and we got the ultimate win tonight, and that's all that matters. And a win for Man United as well. Manchester United, yeah, we did. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Joe Tooney, enjoy your night. Enjoy being a first-year Super Bowl champion. Uh, thank you very much. appreciate it. Thank you. I think that kind of brings the locker room stuff for the Patriots to a close, and there's a question that needs to be asked at this point, and that is everyone spoke about the, the impact of Brady and the impact of the will to win and, and everything else. I think, first of all, before we even get to that, Ollie, um, I think I owe you something. I think you do. And, I would like, and what I would, would that be, Monbrov? I would, I would like to apologise for ever doubting Julian Edelman. 
I have spent time over the last two seasons calling him the ultimate system receiver, a guy who doesn't even compare to Wes Welker in my mind. And whilst I, <laughs> whilst I still don't rate him as a top 10 wide receiver like you do, after seeing that catch in real life, hearing... He's, better than, he's better than Wes Welker ever was as well, Will. He's a better receiver than Welker was. And Welker far, was far really better. great. Yeah. He can play inside and outside. He's he's amazing. He's he's become so ridiculously underrated. He's one of the best seven receivers in the NFL. Not he's underrated not, by me, he's, Matthew he's Sherry. He is not in the top ten. He's oh, he in is. the top ten. Well, if, if you put Edelman oh, in, if you put he's Edelman had... in twenty-seven other offenses, he wouldn't have anywhere near the impact he has at the Patriots. Whereas you have other guys who could go into almost any offense and perform because they are big-bodied, faster, better in traffic, everything else. We've had this conversation so many times. I'm in the middle of an apology. Edelman is not a top-ten receiver. He, he looks like a top-ten receiver because he's in that offense. But I do apologize to Ollie for doubting him because that catch was incredible. And he's now had two amazing Super Bowls. And he was, like, doubled and triple-teamed repeatedly in this game as well. I think he only had, like, 80 yards in the end. But he's been fantastic the second half of this season. And how good he, he, w- and, and how good he was allowed the plays for Malcolm Mitchell and James White and, and the space for that to open up. Great point, the, the Falcons Great. were petrified of Julian Edelman and they were right to be and that catch is a case in point. He gets, he makes a catch where there's no reason, rhyme or reason, okay it was a bit lucky coming off Alford's foot, but there's no reason why he should have caught that. Edelman you, you your apology is tainted by the fact if you put him in in 27 other offences, he's not as good a receiver. That's tainted, mate. It's not even an apology, this. I'm, dis- then, then I'm, I'm disappointed then I'm, t- in then, you. I'm, then I'm taking it away from being an apology and going back to my original point because he's not a top 10 receiver. He is. Clearly, 10 is. Clearly were, is. If I was doing a draft just of receivers, I would not pick him above 10 other guys. Moving on. He to might be number 10. One, but one good point you did make. One good point you did make then was the impact that he had on James White's game. And this is an argument that I've been getting into with a few people on social media. And I've, I've seen experts saying it as well. This isn't just fans saying it. James White should be the MVP of the Super Bowl. Now, I understand that 14 receptions is incredible. I understand that he got the two-point conversion, that he punched in three touchdowns between catches and runs as well. Every, he had a phenomenal game. There's no doubting that. But he was schemed, and he has the talent as well, but he was schemed into have that, having that phenomenal game. And what he wasn't compared to Tom Brady is the guy who, as we heard from all of those interviews, picked that team up, refused to lose, went out there and changed the way he read that defense in the second half, made the adjustments, made the plays. Tom Brady took the team and he carried it on his shoulders. And his fourth quarter stats are absolutely ludicrous. He had stats in the fourth quarter that, there was there are Super Bowl winning quarterbacks who didn't even come close to having the well for, sorry fourth quarter and overtime who haven't even come close to matching the stats that he had during that period of time. Uh, it's in a whole game and, and don't yeah in a whole game and don't get me wrong MVP is one of the most misawarded titles in Super Bowl history. But sometimes the simple answer is the right answer. And I cannot understand. These were the fourth quarter and overtime stats. Brady, 20 for 26, 246 yards and a touchdown. He now has 12,300 yards in 34 playoff appearances. He's the hands-down MVP of this game. Yeah, it- the, the the thing that we we judge quarterbacks on, or at least we should judge them on, which really opens up the debate that we had with Simon Clancy before this game, um, is performing in big moments. Everybody wants a quarterback who you say, you've got two minutes left, you need a guy to drive you down the field. 
Tom Brady did that three times in this game with two two-point conversions. That's what that was the scenario. Now you could argue the first one they were kind of out of the game, so maybe it's not as meaningful. So we can take that off the table if you want to. What you've got left then is a guy needing in two drives to drive down the field twice, once 91 yards and once 75 yards. He needs to get a two-point conversion and he needs to that that is necessity for them to have any chance of winning the game. And that's what he did. And nobody has ever done that before. I'm not sure anybody will ever do it again in a Super Bowl. I mean, it's just not even a question for me. Yeah, me either. I mean, I know you guys wanted to be rather contrary to to the point and uh, say that, oh, yeah, James White did this, did that, did this. Tom Brady uh, is hands down the MVP. Even for James White, you can say, oh, well, he didn't. it wasn't him that allowed James White to get into the end zone for the first two-point conversion. If you look at the fake... Uh, that he that he does on that it's pretending to catch catch the ball. It got me on the day. Almost it almost did. everyone in the press box was caught out by that fake, and I we was. were we were directly in line with it. Yeah, on that on that <laughs> end on the line, per- yeah. on on the perfect. We were pretty much on the two yard line, perfect angle to see what happened, and ev- and everyone around us went, "Oh, that's a high snap." Oh wait, Brady doesn't have the ball. Like <laughs> genuinely, we like it caught out everyone, and that is great coaching. And yes, James White was the player who caught the ball and, and made the run. But it's great coaching, and it's a great fake from Brady to sell it. And also, if you think of James White's touchdown, it was Brady that recognised what was going on with the, with the Falcons' defence. Okay, it might have been a dis- the design, but. Brady made that play. He recognises everything. And as you said, Will, he he grabbed this team from the canvas as it was going into... Oh, it came out of half-time, 28-3 down. Grabbed this team and ripped them up. That's a leader, and that's the most valuable player. James White was the extension of Brady's, of, of Brady's brilliance. That's all. Exactly. exactly. He also, he and you also can have that for the too. magazine. <laughs> he also made two obscene throws in overtime, one of which I put on our Facebook chat group earlier on, the one to Danny Amendola. I'm being yeah, to I, dodge I rewatched like, yesterday when Sarah got in from work. Um, I woke up from my you know nine hour long nap, um, and we stuck. Uh, we we were going to watch something on TV, but before we did, I was like, I really wanted to watch the beginning of the Gaga performance. To be honest, to You're see such exactly a romantic. What um, but we, so we stuck on the Gaga halftime, which Sarah wanted to watch. And I'm she like, didn't actually jump off the roof live though. Did no, she? she didn't. Exactly. So I was like, well, whilst we're here, I might as well put the final drive on as well. So I fast forwarded it to overtime and I watched the final drive live. And partially I did that because I missed the first two throws of that drive or had to watch them on TVs in the proper press box because I'd been doing updates on TalkSport and doing the Twitter for New Era. I hadn't been to the toilet since halftime, but had drunk a lot of water because I'd been talking a lot. And I was desperate for the toilet. So I had to go and beg a woman to let me into the proper press box, even though she wasn't meant to do that. I literally sprinted across the press box to the toilet, you know, past every big name journalist you could possibly know, and then sprinted back down in time. So I'd also missed the first couple of throws. But that Amandola throw, when I watched it back, I was just, it was a great, it was a perfectly run route, and it was a brilliantly designed play, but there was some pressure in the pocket on Brady and for him to make that throw under pressure, just the perfect, perfect arc. It couldn't have been 
any any longer, any shorter, could have been picked any longer, would have gone straight out of bounds. It was I'd, unbelievable. I'd urge the listeners to have a look at that throw, and then if they could let us know whether they think that constitutes throwing a guy open, which Simon Clancy doesn't <laughs> believe it does, nor does he believe that Tom Brady's capable of doing that ridiculously. I'd love to get an opinion on that, because that, to me, was the definition of throwing a guy open. He threw that before Amendola was even out of his break, and that is the only way to complete a pass like that, because... It was 30 yards in the air, the pass. So in order to complete it, you'd have to throw it then, otherwise it'll get intercepted. So, yeah, that, I'd be interested to see what a non-ridiculous Dolphins fan thinks of that. But let's, let's, now, um, let's now turn our attention to the Falcons. Uh, I, I, as we, I finished doing my report and I finished getting everything done upstairs, I uh, headed down to the locker rooms. I walked past you guys, stood outside the Patriots locker room, and I said, has anyone been down to the Falcons? And the answer was no. So I figured somebody needs to do it. I really wanted to go and talk to Grady Jarrett, actually. But as I arrived at the Falcons locker room, who, by the way, Ollie said it already, had an incredible game, three sacks, and was in for a shout of MVP at 28-3. But... Um, he had just literally been sent to the podium as I got there. So I did manage to chat to Ricardo Allen for a couple of moments. But before we kind of react to it, let's just hear what Ricardo Allen had to say uh, about the game, the performance and uh, losing in that kind of devastating circumstance. I'm, I'm like kind of numb, you know. It's just like, it's, it's one of the worst feelings, you know, ever. Because, you know, it, it just seems so promising, you know, the first half, you know. And then you come out and, you know, we, we never, you know, pulled off. But they started clicking, you know. They started doing really well and, man, it's... You know, it, it just started to, you, you just feel it fading away. You can just feel it, you know, running away from you, man. And, you know, we, we fought all the way to the end, but they, they pushed a little harder, man. They, they dug a little deeper. 28-9, 15 minutes left, man. It's, you know, we talked on sideline like one play at a time, one play at a time. But what they were doing, they were making the plays in one place at a time, you know. We we always tell, you know, talk about on our defense, we we all can't have onesies. Because, you know, one player have this play, you know, one player mess up this play, the other player mess up this play, it ends up a touchdown, you know. And, you know, that's what they end up doing. They, you know, they end up making, you know, one play at a time. There was one drive where there was uh, three holds on three third downs, which led to three penalties and, and kept them going. No, that, that same drive that we got the three, the three holding penalties, we ended up getting a pick six that same drive. So, you know, we were battling. We didn't care, you know. We, we took the penalties and we took them, you know, took them to the chin. We were like, it doesn't matter. That doesn't matter. We're going to keep grinding. We're going to keep fighting. We're going to keep doing what we're doing. But, you know, Man, they just that second half. It was you know they just came out and they were they were balling and they were playing and they were playing hard. Did you move away too much from what you've done so well all season with the zone and with the cover three? Nah, you know we we you know in the playoffs we've been playing a lot of man. You know we've been playing zone. We've been mixing it up. We were blitzing. You know we were doing everything, man. We just you know they they just you know they got their game plan down. You know a little better in the second half than we did. Safety for the Atlanta Falcons, Ricardo Allen, and interesting to hear his thoughts on the game plan and what he would have done differently. But I'll tell you what was interesting about my experience in the Falcons locker room and the reason I think that there is some real room for positivity with this Falcons team in a way that there was less so with the Panthers last year. I don't think they're going to be like the Panthers and go 7-9 and nine next season. There were, there were members of that locker room, Matt Ryan in particular, who were wearing that game on their face, who clearly knew just how much they'd given up. But of those young members of those defense, and whilst I spoke with Ricardo Allen, I was also involved in interviews with um, uh, Dayon Jones, with Rashid Hageman. I was in and involved in those as well. And it was nowhere near as... I've been in losing locker rooms in regular season games that have been lower than that, which is surprising considering they just suffered pretty much the worst loss in Super Bowl history and one of the worst losses in sports history. But there was generally a kind of feeling of, all right, I know we've lost this, 
but we're going to come back and do it again. And when you look at the, the team itself, I mean, Matt Ryan, 31 years old, still plenty of years left in him. And yes, he's lost Kyle Shanahan, which we'll get onto in a while. They've hired Steve Sarkeesian as their offensive coordinator, which is an interesting move. And apparently he's going to run the same offense. But just looking beyond that, the running backs in Freeman and Tevin Coleman, who I think were both top 10 backs this year, 24, 23 years old. Julio Jones and Mohamed Sanu, both 27, both on long-term contracts. Taylor Gabriel, just 25 years old. Austin Hooper, who had a great Super Bowl himself, or a great first half at least, was 22 years old. And on the defensive side of the ball, they're not losing any of their big names to free agency. A majority of them of 26 and under, including Trufant, Allen, Hageman, Poole, Beasley, uh, Jalen Collins, uh, Grady Jarrett, Dayon Jones, Keanu Neal's just 21 years old. Dan Quinn has everything there to piece together a team who can go to multiple Super Bowls over the next five years. And I know that's a difficult thing for any team to do is to return. But if a team are set up for it, it's all going to be for me how the offense reacts to losing Kyle Shanahan. If they can react well to it and still come back and be high-powered next, how high-powered next season, what we saw from their offense in the last eight weeks, including the playoffs, makes me think that they're up there with the likes of the Cowboys as the favorites in the NFC next season. The only thing that I think could undermine them is is the mental scars, both from the game and, and I just think that in that situation, the players sometimes just start looking at the coaching staff. Things start going wrong the following year. They're like, they start looking over and starting to look to blame the coaches. So it'll be interesting, be interesting to see what Sarkeesian's like. I think it touches upon but one of my big reasons why I think the Patriots are the best team in the league and continue to be is they have a system the coaches slot into not the other way around so what what's working for them will always work for them because the next coach will be running the same system and that i think it's it's a it's an easy thing but it just is not the case anywhere else in the nfl because whenever teams change coordinators invariably the system changes and i think that could be a problem and then I know you said they're going to try and run the same offence, but it'll be interesting to see whether that actually happens. Well, they haven't even said try. They've very specifically said today the plan is for Steve Sarkeesian to run the same offence. Now, uh, he's an interesting hire, Sarkeesian, because uh, literally only became the Alabama play caller for the national championship game. Um, We all know about his checkered past, about his drinking, about being fired uh, from his previous job for turning up to work drunk, having already been given leave to go to rehab. And and from what I understand, he's now three years sober. And he's an I really did just believe that Matt LaFleur was going to be brought up to be the next offensive coordinator of the Falcons. And it was going to be nice and simple and all tied together. But LaFleur is going to L.A. I'm. He has history with McVeigh almost as much as he does with Carl Shanahan. They were together in Washington as well. And McVeigh, that's an interesting one because I think if Lafleur had stepped up as the Falcons offensive coordinator, he becomes the guy because Dan Quinn's a defensive-minded coach. He becomes the play caller. He absolutely becomes the man. Whereas you look at either of those situations, if he'd either gone and joined Shanahan as his offensive coordinator or with going to Sean McVeigh, in both those situations, he's going to be involved in the design and running of the offense, but he's not the play caller. It's almost like a half step towards being an offensive coordinator because both McVeigh and Shanahan have said they're going to be running their own offenses. So I, I think, has he taken maybe the halfway out? I, we won't know, I don't know if we'll ever know the behind the scenes of whether Lafleur was offered the job or not. Sarkeesian is a risky one, but if he does come in and they can keep that offense rolling and they can maybe not average 33 points again, but, you know, they're averaging in the mid-high 20s again, then the defense will improve enough with a good draft class. And we like Thomas Dimitrov a lot on this show. 
that they can be a real contender again next year. And my point about the locker room is I, they felt like a team who were ready to bounce back from the worst loss of all time, even though they'd only just suffered it. And forgive me if yeah. I'm wrong, isn't, a, isn't a Alan Bama a, a, a big back, north-south running back offence or rushing offence? And what we had from Matt Ryan et al. this year was uh, him moving the ball through the air using two sets of running or two running backs those in tandem you've got the fullback there as well and all of those wide receivers and the tight ends it it seems a totally different offense scheme no, to, to me be, to be fair Alabama moved to the spread this season they got a running yeah, back and lot of spread a lot spread of team, lot so. of outside zone running as well which is exactly what the Falcons did so brilliantly with those two players so it's a perfect and, appointment that's what I'm saying <laughs> yeah well traditionally you'd have been bang on but it's because only this year they've moved to the spread they've always been a power running team until this season but I, just, I mean who knows it's just I just think at times that the teams don't have a succession plan in place on their own staff when you you should always have a succession plan in place I could tell you now who would be the New England offensive and defensive coordinators if, if either of those guys left who them. would be the new, the next New England head coach because I think it would be Matt Patricia the next head coach would be McDaniels I think almost yeah. certainly but I think the uh, offensive coordinator would be Brian Dable the tight ends coach who's done it in a couple of other stops in the NFL and defensive coordinator will be Brian Flores who I'm fairly certain is going to be the 49ers coordinator by the sounds of it um, and is a brilliant position coach so so yeah I mean I just don't think enough teams have those succession plans in place on their own staff you always need to be looking into the future and I mean you, you had to know that Kyle Shanahan was a guy who could move on and maybe Sarkeesian was always the succession plan because I assume there's some kind of Pete Carroll connection between them because Sarkeesian was with Carroll at USC and obviously Quinn was with Carroll at um, Seattle but yeah, we'll and, see how it works out yeah it's, it's interesting that he did make that step up it, w- it would have been he only played had one game as defensive coordinator after Lane Kiffin left but interesting to see if he'd still have come in as the assistant and then gone straight into an offensive coordinator role in the NFL you know like I said there's a bit of a redemption story there with Sarkeesian because of his past but it's it's a fascinating one to see exactly how that would have played out um, ha- had that been the situation. I yeah, I, I just I stand by my point. I think the Falcons, if they can get that one element right, I think they really are set up to have a good season next year. Hope so. I like the Falcons. I like all their organisation. So yeah, I would hope so. Um, let's talk about those other couple of moves. Then I mentioned Matt Lafleur to LA. I, I, that's really a bold one to me from all perspectives in terms of uh, Lafleur was. So you talked about a succession plan. It felt like he was designed to go in and take over that Falcons offense. I think you've, he's gone into a difficult situation in LA because they've got a quarterback who, you know, whilst we spoke with Jaws about this last week, there are elements to his game that suggest that he could improve this year, has the smell of a bust to him already. And then you've got the fact that he's going and he's not going to be the play caller, he's not going to be the man who makes the final decisions on any of the offensive stuff. Maybe he's put himself in an easier situation to bounce out of. But yeah, I, I, it, it felt like an, an odd one to me when maybe moving to the 49ers with Shanahan made more sense. Shanahan, uh, you know, I've, I've said it already. That's the second half, I was obviously disappointed to see what they ran, the Falcons' offense. But I'm still incredibly excited. Shanahan is still the ideal uh, head coach from anyone who was available out there. He was my number one choice and almost too bold to say I wanted to bring him in. I do think, uh, as John Lynch said today, if they bring in a rookie quarterback and start him 
from week one. That Shanahan offense is not going to be an easy one to run, particularly with a lot less talent than they've got. All right, there's a lot of talk of Kirk Cousins um, coming in. There's some talk about Jimmy Garoppolo as well. There's even talk about Matt Sharp. Oh, which, which doesn't excite. I mean, the, the interesting thing on the floor is that I assume that he, he wasn't offered Atlanta because why would you not stay in Atlanta unless he's best friends with McVeigh? So, I mean, that's not a good sign for the for, for that one fair stuff I mean if he's not offered that job they know him better than anybody so they know whether he can do it or not so if they've offered it to Sarkeesian and kind of rejected him that's not a good sign um, and, I mean did, did Shanahan want to take him with him to, to San Francisco has that been part of the discussion or? There, there was there were there were rumours the moment that the Shanahan deal was finally done all the talk was about Lafleur either going to LA or San Francisco oh, okay. Well, so if, if, it was one if, of those two. But but that could be people jumping to the fact that he has those clear links with both of those coaches that maybe they thought, well, that's going to be one or the other because you hire the guy you know, don't you? Yeah, and I mean, I think Shanahan, yeah, I mean, that's true. Shanahan's an exciting hire for the 49ers. I think, still think McDaniels was the best option available because I, I put a huge amount of stock in head coaching experience, especially when it's gone wrong because I think you can learn a lot from that. But I think he was, it was neck and neck for those guys. So... Yeah, I'm excited to see what happens. We'll see how it goes with John Lynch and everything else. Um, the Super Bowl for me gives you more reason to be optimistic because of the outschemed Belichick for large spells of that game, which not many coaches can do. So yeah, I think there's very much cause for optimism there. Uh, Ollie, mm. whilst we're talking about other things going on, Sam Shields looks like he's leaving the uh, the Green Bay Packers. You you suffer you missed him hugely throughout this season after he went out with a concussion in week one. I mean, I think I feel like my money would be if he's been released and he's only and and he's well he suffered two concussions in nine months and he's literally a concussion has kept him out for the whole season. So he's saying he thinks it's not over and he's got more football in him. It would take a lot for me to trust him as a coach or a, or a GM to bring him into my organisation for any large sum of money if his, if his injury was that severe. But, man, it leaves Green Bay with a lot more work to do in the off-season again. Yeah, he suffered a concussion on the first game of the season against the Jacksonville Jaguars, and he hasn't recovered. It's taken him, well, even up to this point, even up to the, the very last game against Atlanta, he was still not ready to go, not ready to be activated. Um, he... He was fantastic last year, 2015. He was uh, not the best in 2014, but I think even he turned you around last year, Will, into being into realizing how good he was. And if we see it on Green, Green Bay's play this year, um, Rollins, uh, Randall, Goodson, Gunter—they were nowhere near his standard. And Green Bay really, really missed him. There was a lot more emphasis and pressure placed on people like uh, the in like the safeties in Clinton Dix so we're going to really miss him and you're right I'm not sure I mean if any team's going to do it it'll be the Patriots <laughs> they tend to take a punt on lots of players but you know I'm not sure if, if even they would be able to trust someone who suffered for 20 weeks with a concussion That's I, don't think any, I, don't, I don't think anybody should sign him and it's amazing for his, for his, for his own good it's not I mean Really. I, t- I totally agree with you. It's amazing that he will that he wants to stay in the game, given everything that's been uh, brought out about CTE, about uh, concussion issues. 
yeah, he still wants to play. I mean, money's good in the NFL. I'm not sure anyone would be able to um, would be able to to sign him. I think Green Bay take a cap hit of three million, um, and I think it's for his own good that they do that. And hey, look, Micah Hyde uh, is also a free agent this off season. There are some big name and big money guys out there who are coming onto the market. Stephen Gilmore, Tremaine Johnson. We already mentioned Logan Ryan, and, and as Sherry says, I'd be surprised if the Patriots can keep him around and Dante Hightower for the sort of money that he's likely to command. Um, you know, some second tier guys as well. AJ Bouye's out there. He's not a second tier guy by any stretch of the imagination, but it very much sounded when he's, we spoke with him that he wanted to stay in Houston and that's the deal he's looking to get done. Um, whereas there are other guys who I think will be leaving Gilmore key amongst them. So there are guys out there, but it means Ted Thompson has to go out and pay for a big money free agent, which is something he doesn't like to do and has never liked. To no, do. he's never liked to do it. I think Julius Peppers and uh, Jared Cook last year, the most recent ones, Julius both of those, incidentally, are up for renewal. I'm, I'd be surprised if they keep Peppers because he really is getting on a bit and could, could, could command a bit, of, quite a bit of cash. I could see them retaining Jared Cook, given his relationship with mm. Aaron Rodgers developed to the point where uh, we saw that catch against uh, against Atlanta, and he's he's adequate in pass blocking and he's a very good catcher. So I'd expect them to to retain them. Eddie Lacy's an interesting one, and it, it it made me think about. Well, he's an upgrade on Legarrette Blunt. Is he someone that? Yeah, that, he's a dream. <laughs> he's he's absolutely like top three in my list of players. Yeah. I'd love the Patriots to sign him. He's, he's that North South guy. But the, the the only thing that would go against that is that Green Bay also released Sam. Um, sorry, James Starks today. So if James Starks has gone, could that mean that Eddie Lacy returns? He's suffered from injury. I'm not sure he'd command as that as big a salary uh, as he would have done after if he, if you'd have had to have re-sign him after his first two years. So um, I wouldn't count out Eddie Lacy staying at Green Bay for next season. I'd, 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 I hope not, because like you say, of all the guys I've looked at, he would be perfect for the Patriots. He's exactly what they need, just perfect. Assuming he can stay fit and thin, slim. <laughs> <laughs> All trying to find a tackle worth saying. Listen, Look, it's, it, it's, it's cold in the northeast of the United States, so he's going to have to eat the same amount if he moves <laughs> up there. <laughs> Look, boys, uh, we'll wrap this up and... Just to finish off by saying, look, there were loads of plans for us for the off-season. Matt Sherry is heading out for the draft in Philadelphia, so I'm sure we'll get lots of great content from there and be speaking with him regularly. We'll have all of our draft build-up. Simon Clancy might not be able to assess, uh, assess Tom Brady as well as some others with, with quite the same... Um, should we say impartiality? Yeah, yeah. but uh, he is a guy who can assess college at a brilliant level. So we'll be speaking with Sherry a lot, uh, with Sherry a lot, with Clancy a lot. Uh, and we've got lots of interviews, so many great interviews. I mentioned oh AJ gosh. Boyer there. So many great interviews to bring in from Radio Row. I think we did about 70 interviews across the course of the, course of the week. Plus, we spoke with um, uh, Bruce Arians. We spoke with Clark Hunt. We're going to bring you both those interviews later this week or early next week. Uh, basically in the next show that we do um and we'll, we'll start <laughs> good one buddy when, whenever that is <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah um but just to finish off by saying and in a very similar way to to belichick did in his press conference by the way two brits getting in questions to brady and belichick well done matt sherry can i ask matt sherry did brady because i've i think uh, americans are great at this especially at press conferences no matter where you are in the room no matter who you are they tend to look at you when you you've asked them that question so I remembered uh, particularly questioning Jason Witten and uh, when the Dallas Cowboys came over and Witten and I 
shared shared a long uh, glance because we didn't want to look either of us look away. Did yeah. did Brady look at you when when you asked him that question? Remarkable amount of eye contact. It's, yeah. it's so nervous, isn't it? It really. Did, did you melt in your seat? I did. I'd also <laughs> I'd also shaken his hand and wished him congratulations the previous evening. So he yeah. love that. I am. Um, I did you take his shirt? I never. <laughs> did you take I his jersey? Come on, mate. We think the lady doth protest too much. Uh, He was very quick into that, wasn't he? I never, Never. man. Why, I, man. I never (laughs) took it like... (laughs) I I took it and I stuffed it down my way, I, friends. (laughs) (laughs) We can't bring this back. How are you, man? (laughs) This is definitely coming back to the UK with us. Um, Look, Bill Belichick was very much the same, Ollie. I I asked the question, and whilst he avoided my question spectacularly, I asked him about Dante Hightower and the the key of re-signing him in the off-season. And he talks about what a great player he was, what a great play that was, how key he was to the team for two minutes, but never said anything about free agency or anything like that. Do you know know what's amazing? And I don't think we're giving anything away here with the Bruce Arians stuff. When we asked Bruce Arians about a, a couple of players who may or may not stay, he was, he was completely the, honest, wasn't he? He was oh, we, 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 we totally tweet. honest. Ollie, we've tweeted this out so we can say it. He literally went to us, Chandler Jones is going nowhere, but... We might I not think, be able to uh, afford Claire's Campbell. Yeah, I think yeah, Claire's Campbell might be too expensive for we're us. We're going to re-sign Chandler Jones and get rid of a player who is ten times better than him. But That's going to be a big mistake. A lot of Ridiculous. Yeah but, he's, yeah, but Chandler Jones is just not worth the money Arizona are going to pay him. And they're going to find that out more and more. Like, really, really isn't worth it. He just doesn't turn up in big games. I don't think he has a playoff sack. Anyway, all of that aside, I just wanted to say what a great host city Houston was. Oh, it was amazing. What a brilliant weekend. Houston as a city is not a particularly exciting place. Great, bar- great barbecue, great Mexican food, but it's the kind of... LA style classic American it's a city, isn't it? American New City, where it's got a downtown, which is all very corporate, and then it's got a lot of freeways and strip malls. But you know, LA at least has the beach, etc. And yes, like, like I said, Midtown, you've got great barbecue, but it's it's not a city that I would want to particularly live in. But I almost think that because of that, they did a brilliant job of hosting. Uh, the food was great, the drink was great, the venues were all brilliant, all of the movement, uh, like you know, getting us to and from the game, just everything was run smoothly, everyone was so friendly. I, I had a wonderful week. Yeah, it was fantastic. You've clearly checked out, Matt Sherry, as has Ollie. Uh, I'll just sit here and wax lyrics. Listen, I had, a, I had a great week as well. I, 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 yeah, the city was a little soulless. I think without the Super Bowl being there, it would have it would have been... It's an awful place, but the people. <laughs> oh, 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 how can you say awful when you were so excited that first day you saw the skyline? Well, it's a beautiful skyline. Look, I'm a very excitable person, but the people are, are, are really, really nice. Uh, as Will said, the food was lovely, and I had a, a thoroughly, thoroughly nice time. So, um, you know, I can't wait to go back to the Super Bowl. <laughs> Good. Uh, I, just a little plug. The um, part of the chat Will and I had with Deontay Wilder will be on kickoff on TalkSport tonight if you're listening to this uh, on Thursday night. Great. Yep, kick Strong off. work, Ollie. Yep, you know. Good man. Uh, I love that. TalkSport. And, and I'll, I'll deliver a plug as well. The, um, the next Gridiron magazine will be out in a couple of weeks and it's going to be awesome. Yeah, it will. 
Yeah, Top stuff, well. gents. As always, heads touchdown trips. We're going to be speaking with Ben this week, and we'll bring you the news and views. And we're going to we're going to start sending out emails and getting impressions of what people want to do, don't want to do, a kind of early pricing, all that sort of thing. So definitely get in touch with us there. We'd love to hear from you. Otherwise, thank you very much for listening to the show. Any final thoughts, Ollie Hunter? No. <laughs> you gone. <laughs> you clearly gone. Uh, in which case, I have no music to end this on. Um, what so- the? Okay, final thought. How great was Gaga? Well, it's obviously got to be Gaga. We finish it on now. There, there we go. There we go. I loved Gaga. I will send you, Willie, um, Bad Romance from, uh, from the actual Super Bowl performance itself brilliant send that over i'll edit it in right now people will be listening to it thank you very much for listening <laughs> tweet us at gridiron always go and like us and share us and everything else yeah, on social Super Bowl, yeah. that. this has been the gridiron show situation in the Pacific is worse than reported. The Japanese are planning something big. What's the target? Midway. From the director of Independence Day. A couple dozen planes against all Japanese fleet. We got the order to launch. Discover the incredible true story. Today we're going to be underdogs. Of the World War II battle. Good luck, boys. Fire! Midway. Download and keep now.